With 2023 drawing to a close, what are some of the key data points and trends from this year? What's the outlook for the European private equity mid-market? And what's been happening in the PE advisory segment and in the co-investment space? Our team of private equity journalists will be discussing all this and more in today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast by Merger Market. Hello, listener, and welcome to this new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast by Merger Market. My name's Harriet Matthews. I'm funds editor at Merger Market, and I'll be your host for today's episode, in which we'll be taking a look back at the key private equity data, events, and trends that shaped 2023. And we'll be aiming to arm you with some insights about how 2024 might be shaping up. We're reaching the end of this year, of course, and many PE market participants are busy wrapping up deals or fundraisers that need to get over the line this year, while also looking ahead to 2024 and laying the groundwork for fresh funds and fresh deals. It's almost hard to believe, but this is a year in which we saw the collapse of Credit Suisse and Silicon Valley Bank, interest rate rises, the like of which we haven't seen for years. And of course, the world has been rocked by geopolitical uncertainty and conflict throughout. A quick recap then of the year's private equity activity in terms of numbers against this backdrop. Merger market data shows that European PE activity is at its lowest yearly level since 2016 in terms of disclosed deal volume. And when it comes to deal count, we've just surpassed the level seen in 2020, admittedly by just 4%. Exit activity is also, to no one's surprise, at the lowest level we've seen for a quarter since Q3 2020. You can see and read more about our data, as well as glean the views of some PE market participants who we canvassed for their take on the market in the most recent Merger Market Private Equity Trend Spotter. But as we look to 2024, Merger Market's private funds editorial team is aiming to provide some insights in audio form on how the year is going to be shaping up. To kick off the discussion, I'm joined by my colleague Rachel Lewis, Senior Private Equity Reporter at Merger Market. Rachel, welcome again to the podcast. Hi, Harriet. It's great to be here as always. Absolutely. And great to have you here. Now, Rachel, I know you've been looking into uh, the mid-market. What kind of drew you to, to talking about that, looking at that as a, as a topic? Why did you want to talk about that today? Yeah, it's interesting. I know kind of as a, a journalist, you're not meant to have favorites, but I've, I've kind of got a real sweet spot for the mid-market over the, over the past 12 months or so. And as your headline figures point out, it's been an absolutely terrible year for sponsor fundraising, deployment and entrances, which uh, and exits, I mean, which, you know, everyone here will be very aware of. But I think what a lot of this data is really missing is that we have seen a real bifurcation between what's happening in the large cap space and what's happening in the mid-market. And I just want to break down some of those numbers with something that I think is quite interesting. So 2023 uh, so far in the large cap space, which we're valuing as deals uh, 1 billion or above in euros, we've seen just eight private equity exits, which is phenomenally low. I mean, you know, we compare that to 30 last year and 72 in 2021. So there's been a real kind of fall off in kind of large cap deals. 
Um, again, that will be no surprise to someone, to, to most people listening. But while we have seen large cap sponsors like CVC raise the large funds, like you mentioned, clearly less capital from that space has been returned to LPs, whereas it is the mid-market that has more consistently been able to deliver exits this year. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point and something we do identify more when, when you kind of drill down into the, the data, what's going on beyond the headline figures. So you, you've mentioned that the the mid cap space has been able to kind of um, you know deliver more to their LPs potentially. Um, can you tell me a bit about the exit environment that's allowed that? What does the the data look like there? Yeah, so obviously deal making is is still down overall, but we've seen fifty eight exits from deal valued at the one mi- uh, 100 million to one billion range compared to. 95 last year. So yeah, still down, but you know, eight exits in the large cap space compared to 58 in the mid cap space, clearly something is happening. And, you know, I just want to point out, we've seen some quite good deals here in in terms of returns. So ECI earned 6.2 money on the sale of Tusker to Lloyd's and Nordic Capital made 6 times on the sale of macro bond to francisco partners so it's not just that that they are delivering more exits by number is actually that we've seen some kind of quite good returns in the space here too and i think um you know one of the reasons a why exits are good and why we are seeing more deployment and i'll go through those through some of those numbers in a minute is um people We've, we've talked about value creation many times on this podcast, but when you're buying at the lower end of the spectrum, deals which can be can be secondary buyouts, but are more typically primaries, corporate carve-outs, take privates, those kind of things, there's a lot more levers that you can use for value creation. Um, you can deploy smaller equity cushions. You can do more M&A on a operational level, you know, because it hasn't already been through that first round of sponsor ownership, there's a lot to do with the business operationally, which kind of makes it easier to drive profits, which isn't so kind of hinged on on kind of that cap structure as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And I suppose there's more exit optionality there as well. When the, the deals are slightly smaller, there's a, a sort of larger universe for buyers, uh, albeit that the deals will be larger than, than they were on entry, at least ideally. And now turning to, you know, what this means for fundraising, obviously, we talk about private equity as, um, you know, that there's a kind of cycle of um, deals and, and exits and deployment. Um, what does the kind of relative success of, of exits in this space mean for fundraising, do you think? Yeah. And again, this is super interesting. So I think the first half of the year was stacked with the large cap fundraisers that we were kind of all expecting as the new LP allocations became available. So you mentioned CVC, we had TA Associates, but the latter half of the year kind of because of the exits that have delivered, we really saw a breakthrough in the mid-market fundraising. So Keenside Capital raised 2.8 billion, Vidane Capital raised 1.1, ECI, ECI Partners raised a billion. Um, and I think, you know, this really just goes to show that that A, the mid-market is being rewarded slightly for, for the exits that it's delivered, but also there's capital to deploy. So just to give you some figures, um, so entrances this year, we saw 162 deals made um, in that kind of mid-market 
space and 27 over. So people are still deploying into the large cap, but you know we have seen 162 deals made in the mid-market, which kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about opportunities for value creation in this environment. And I think that will continue going forward with more capital. We've got um, Exponent on the road, MB Renaissance expected to launch next year. So there will be more capital. One other thing which I think is interesting is that it's not just the mid-market sponsors who are playing in this space. Um We've also seen some of the larger houses that have historically deployed really large equity checks move a little bit more into the mid-market, whether that's through their flagship or their growth strategies. And just to give you a couple of examples, so Carlisle, I was looking through the data, historically a lot of its deals have been valued at kind of a billion and above. Uh, it recently bought Anthesis from Palatine for around $400 million. And KKR, again, another tier one sponsor that we're all very familiar with, bought Clinny Supplies um, through its healthcare growth fund, which has turned up into quite an interesting roll up of the chronic care medical devices space. So, you know, it's all about the, the M&A strategy, the organic growth strategy and kind of large cap sponsors really looking at where they can play a little bit more in this mid market space. Interesting, because yeah, they definitely don't want to to miss out. And obviously, we've yeah, it's really interesting to see that some of the larger ones are kind of um, dipping down, and some are almost dipping back down as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah, as they go up fund sizes, they don't want to miss out on the deal flow that they previously um, had access to when when things are going well. It's a great way to to diversify, I suppose. And you know, let's kind of look look ahead as well. Um, what does all of this mean for the mid market going forward? Do, do more people, you know, want want in on that? I think it's really interesting what you said there, actually, about you know going back down a ticket size because as we've seen the large cap space focus on the the big AUM, the big ticket sizes, that does mean that they're missing out on this this mid cap space. So consolidation is obviously a big thing. I think where we've seen it so far is the um, the balance sheet investors kind of look at going into the, the third party AUM space through the mid market. Obviously, the, the fees are very generous, uh, as I'm sure a lot of our LP listeners will be aware, but the returns are good. So Vendel IK um, is the most obvious example we've seen that is confirmed so far. Uh, interesting multiple 12.5 times fee related earnings. There's been reports quite recently that Eurasio is looking at Astorg. So yeah, consolidation from the kind of the balance sheet investors but i was i was talking to a source recently who said that you know this kind of m a consolidation might also be a way for some of the 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 sponsors that have moved more into the large cap space recently to go back into it so rather than kind of going back to setting up mid-market funds and setting up those teams again you know if they if they've got the cash they might just go and acquire a mid-market manager again Interesting. I mean, to a certain extent, some of those managers will be kind of spoilt for choice because they've obviously been popular among GP stakes buyers as well. Um, you know, looking back on this year, we've um, seen announcements from Sonova and Inflection and uh, MML, and I'm sure there's there's many others I'm I'm forgetting, but those come to mind as kind of prominent UK and European mid market names. So yeah, very interested to see where this will head next year. Yeah, let's see. But um, thank you very much for listening to my thoughts on the mid-market today, Harriet, and we'll see what 2024 holds. 
Absolutely. Thanks for sharing those thoughts, Rachel. Really appreciate it. So that topic around market consolidation, specifically in the mid-market, brings us quite nicely on to our next theme for this episode. For this, I'd like to welcome Min Ho, private equity reporter at Merge Market, to the episode. Min, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good afternoon. Great to have you here. Um, I wanted to ask you a bit today about um, advisor consolidation, specifically kind of M&A and within the, the private equity space. I know it's something you've been um, writing about, thinking about quite a bit this year. Just for a broad overview, first of all, what are you seeing happening in terms of advisory consolidation at the moment? Well, I guess um, if we take a step back, um Naturally, we've been seeing a large drop in deal activity, and that's been uh, fairly well documented uh, documented this year. Uh, what's been quite interesting are rainmakers um, who are now turning to themselves for deals as they seek to position perhaps for an eventual rebound in activity, say next year or further ahead. Um, we've obviously seen the names like uh, Rothschilds take uh, take private by his founding family, Lassard with uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, ADQ. Obviously, those were just talks. Um, Misuo um, acquiring Greenhill, Arma acquired by Medio Banca, and so on and, and so forth. And and what's driving this consolidation? You mentioned a kind of um, overall global fall in M and A. Is that the only factor, or there, is there you know? Are there other issues at play here? Well, I think uh, it's been mainly um, because of a drop in deal making activity. Um, you know, as uh, our data would show, deal value and volumes are at multi year lows this year, and naturally fees are uh, therefore dropping for um, uh, uh, banks. Uh, some are perhaps more affected than others, those perhaps uh, rely more on corporate MA. Than private equity deals are more affected, given that P deals have grown structurally over the past years. Even though um, this year may not uh, necessarily be the best years, um, perhaps those focus on large cap um, um, deals um, have been stagnant, given the state of the uh, lending market. And even those in non-cyclical industries, so we're talking about. Uh, non-tech or and non-healthcare advisors could be looking for exits uh, at the moment. I see. So there's there's hope um, as always about this kind of activity uptick um, next year. That's interesting. And who who is consolidating? Who have we seen make acquisitions? Or who who could make acquisitions? Well, um, I guess naturally the um, consolidators would be the ones who, uh, with balance sheets. Um, and who are also in a sweet spot in terms of sectors. Um, um, we note that they've been quite keen on acquisitions. Um, and over the past year, we've been speaking to quite a few mid-cap players on this, um, many of whom are talking about finding targets with specialized knowledge in sub-sectors rather than um, those with uh, um, general skill sets. So uh, just to take an example, Arma, from our understanding, because of their new backing from Medio Bank, uh, they would be looking actively to the US um, to pursue uh, bolt-ons in TMT. Um, Raymond James, um, um, they've been talking 
quite a bit about their um, need to build out their subscale platform in Europe, and they're both making hirings and they're both uh, they're also making um, um, acquisitions, um, although quite selectively. And then there are other names as well, uh, Hulihan Loki, Elantra, DV, DC Advisory, uh, some of whom have made um, acquisitions um, this year. Yeah, I'll be curious to see um, which sort of advisors might be looking to add private funds, private capital placement agent uh, type capabilities to their roster as well. Obviously, it's another kind of good touch point with their private equity clients. And I know, um, uh, you know, obviously Raymond James, to name just just one, uh, has previously been active in doing that. Um, Hulahan as well. So yeah, I'm I'm curious to see about that. And and I wonder, Min, if you think generally there's more consolidation to come as we look into twenty. 2024? Well, I think there's a strong appeal for um, uh, the consolidators to grow, given that many of the their uh, clients, particularly in PE, are also growing themselves uh, organic or via M&A. So whether that might be in new uh, PE strategies, uh, such as impact funds or infra or debt strategies. Um, and we've obviously been seeing that quite a bit uh, over the past so yeah, the question is whether a pickup in M&A across the market next year will perhaps relieve some of the stresses that some target firms may be going through now. Um, if there is indeed a pickup in activity, um, would target uh, advisors be under less pressure to sell the, um, their businesses? So it's uh, something definitely to uh, consider. Um, for the next year. Yeah, very good questions and ones that I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on um, next year, Min. Thanks very much for taking the time to come on the podcast and, and share your views on that. Thank you. Now, to round off today's episode, I'm pleased to say I'm joined again by Iro Patsakulaki, private equity reporter at Merger Market. Iro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Harriet. Great to have you here again. Now, um, something that we haven't touched on as much yet in this podcast episode, I think, although something that we've been thinking about a lot this year, uh, is just how GPs are looking to get deals done when they're faced with a much higher cost of capital environment. Iro, I know co-investments are one deal type that you've been looking at across the large cap space and beyond. Um, yes, that's right. Um, I, I believe it's actually yeah, fair to say that in today's market, we're seeing uh, a broader array of deal types. So, for example, carve-outs or a lot of take-privates. But I have been looking at co-investments this quarter um, because I, I just have been talking to sources and reading several market re research uh, that was indicating that they have become actually really attractive among uh, GPs who are, as we know, are facing significant fundraising headwinds. Um, so everybody seems to believe that this upward co-investment traject trajectory that we've seen for maybe the last decade, that now is seeing a good momentum and uh, we're seeing an uptick that seems to continue. Uh, and especially in this market, it seems to really be grabbing the attention of both uh, GPs and LPs. Um, and especially especially for GPs, I think it has started to become from kind of something that they were considering as a nice to have to something that they see a lot of benefit in themselves 
themselves. So it's not just about attracting uh, LPs or um, bolstering relationships with existing LPs. The GP really doesn't get much out of it uh, because they're just offering maybe some attractive incentives for their LPs. Uh, as we know, co-investments are usually, um, they, they involve no fees or lower fees. But now GPs are starting to see that there is much more in it for them as well. Um, they're recognizing the broader value of co-investments at a time when capital is scarce. Um, and they, they think that this is a very good way to maybe expand relationships, find alternatives and do bigger deals that maybe uh, without access to financing that might not have been possible. So there are a lot of uh, benefits and we're seeing this theme really playing out very well in this market. Absolutely, because um, you know we, we've touched on a higher cost of capital, but you mentioned fundraising, which is obviously a really key element. Um, you know, when when a GP is fundraising, they need to be kind of getting deals into that fund and uh, potentially using more equity. So obviously, a co investment is something that can kind of reduce the the concentration or risk uh, from putting in a lot of equity at fund level. So yeah, really good point there. And you've mentioned the advantages for for GP zero. Uh, what about for LPs, um, what's kind of in it for for them? You touched on the fee structure. Yes. Um, so yes, as we know, the fee structure is uh, remains to be an appealing um, factor and appealing feature of these uh, co investment structures. But uh, especially in this market that we've heard a lot about the denominator effect or distributions being low, uh, the LP sentiment towards private equity has been lower, uh, I think, as we entered 2023. And I feel that from uh, reports that we're reading and speaking to sources, the, the sentiment is still quite low. Uh, and there are a lot of concerns among LPs uh, as far as their portfolio is concerned, the macro environment, distributions as I said. So uh, this structure also allows LPs to refine their uh, private equity market allocations and as well as increase their exposure to um, maybe their highest conviction managers by co-investing with them. Um, so as well as turning their portfolio exposure um, in case they're, for example, underway in a part of the market or a sector or a particular geography, they can use these type of structures to manage um, these aspects as well. So of course, yes, another element is that they are also also attracted to the structure because it allows them to have a lot more control on the direction of investments. They have a greater, a greater visibility on the decision-making process, especially when they participate directly in an ongoing M&A auction or a sale process. They can be involved in a deal really early on uh, as opposed to just being um, investors in a closed-end fund. Absolutely. And of course, there's a lot of um, asset managers who regularly raise co-investment funds, you know, some in the hundred millions, some in in the billions, you know, well-known um, people like, um, you know, Hermes GP or Federated Hermes and all the kind of typical, uh, you know, typical asset managers um, are ones that will come to mind. But who else has been kind of participating from the, the LP space in the last year or so, would you say? 
Yes, uh, no, that, that was an interesting point, what you just said. Uh, also, yes, we've seen a really active player uh, is the Sovereign Wealth Fund of uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, Adia. Uh, they have been really active, for example, even earlier uh, this year. Um, they, I think they participated in one of the biggest so far um, deals that we've seen, uh, which was the UK-based uh, veterinary pharmaceutical DECRA pharmaceutical. So th- there they helped facilitate uh, this, which is one of the biggest take privates actually so far this year, teaming up with EQT back in July. That was a £4.5 billion cash acquisition. Uh, so they have been really active, but also uh, we've seen Sinven as a manager being engaging in this type of structures. They've worked with uh, Ontario Teachers Pension Plan Board. Um, that they, they late 20 late in 2022 they did a deal in the dogado group um and yes also other people who other managers that have partnered with adia is permira blackstone um but i would say that large pension funds are really uh, keen into this type of structure and what's the outlook for 2024 are are people in the market still expecting good um co-investment deal flow um, yes, I think I would say so because as GPs are still struggling to make exits, uh, the fundraising market seems to, uh, maybe there is some positive outlook, but still it is likely to remain, uh, challenging. So that means that the interest in co-investments and as you said in the beginning, uh, finding more creative ways to deploy and fundraise, um, it, it seems that this will remain a relevant, uh, theme. Um, however, uh, although it might be tempting for managers to capitalize on this trend in order to make larger deals, it's really advised that they, um, they, they, they remain focused on their strategies as opposed to, you know, starting to offer a lot of uh, these uh, co-investment opportunities in order to deviate from what they're known for in the market. It's really advised that GPs remain focused and build a niche in this market. Um, however, the last largest uh, sophisticated LPs that maybe, as we mentioned, Adia, uh, they haven't acted in this way for for decades. So they, it seems that they will really want, especially now that there is a positive momentum to really capitalize on that. So I think that this is something that we will continue to observe into 2024 and probably in the next few years for sure. Yes. And I, I think that warning that we've heard from um, various market participants around kind of not, um, you know, going up a, a deal size when it's not necessarily part of your strategy is an important one. But, you know, LPs are, are discerning uh, creatures and they'll definitely kind of see whether the, the deals GPs are kind of bringing to their table are, are the right ones and are appropriate for, for their, their experience and skill set, I suppose. No, yes, absolutely. I think, I think you're right there. But we have to, we have to see what happens. But I think that's a good point. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Eero, for joining me. It's been great to hear your, your insights on co-investments. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Harriet. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to this episode. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope that you have a good winter break over the next couple of weeks, whenever you are listening to this. And we will see you again in another episode in the new year. <laughs>